This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 15 of Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we are going to talk about our favorite dog treats and those that we're not so crazy about. The breed of the show is the Silky Chicken. We are going to talk about distillers' dried grains and the antibiotic connection. And Patty, Jennifer, and I are going to discuss the best ways to retire your show horse. So, Patty, you have had quite an adventure in Texas. I've been doing a lot of forms of uh, tr- uh, modes of transportation, which are not normal on my way to work. Can it's you been... tread water? <laughs> oh, boy. It's, you know, um, as you very well know, Tigger, I was in another flood. Um, yes. I'm getting to see the common denominator here. Um, yeah. But um, I had just moved to this neighborhood, which... Um, I do remember saying as I was driving by, because when I head to another barn, I drive, I was driving by it and it's all surrounded by a levee. Thank God for that levee. Um, I did find out that the, I, they, they had to, to build it this way because we're so close to the Brazos river. It was, um, a very, the entire, um, neighborhood and surrounding areas were obviously just in floodwaters and we literally boated in and out. Um, first day How much rain did you, did you, did you get? Actually? <laughs> well, here's the kicker. None. It all was what happened up North. Oh, and wow. Yeah. So that's what was very bizarre. Um, we got back from a horse show. We do a Memorial day show down here and they actually do it on, um, Sunday, Monday. And one of my clients who works for the school system and works with, um, you know, like I guess with the sheriff's department and whatnot called me and she said, your road's about to be closed, sweetheart. You might want to get in the development. I'm like, why? And they're like, cause it's going to flood. I'm like, shoot. So I, you know, I had been gone since seven o'clock that morning and drove in and I thought, huh, look at that. There's water coming from nowhere. And that was, it was just, you know, and again, I don't know the area all that well. And to just kind of see the water sort of seep in was bizarre. So Hannah was parking the trailer and I called her. So this is the weird concept of this. So just imagine a straight road um, and four miles down the road where the barn is, uh, was completely and utterly unaffected by everything that happened four miles down the road. Um, And I said, you know, you got to get in. Which she did, and by the time she got in, we kind of got everything undone and probably hung out for like an hour and drove back out and was completely over the road. And then we came back to the house and went out about an hour later, and um, then the entrance to the development was underwater. Then there was a fire hydrant, and then a couple hours later, the fire hydrant was completely underwater. I mean, it was just – and by morning – the next day, I mean, the fire hydrant was gone and it still hadn't crested. So it was pretty, it was pretty bizarre. I mean, and, you know, and honestly, in the scheme of things, um, in the light to keep it kind of, you know, just different and, and try to be, you know, 
we were really we were just inconvenienced. I mean, people lost a lot, and um, we were very fortunate to be able to get in and out. The community here was amazing. <laughs> the funny thing is, you know, Tigger it's a neighborhood. It's not like you know what we're used to in Virginia. You know. Um, People had like boats and dune buggies in their garages. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I just kept thinking because I, we met this one guy, as we referred to as John the neighbor, who was um, so incredibly helpful. He was, he was like, so, you know, looks like you're going to try to head out. And we, I was just going to walk down the levee and we were going to walk through the marshy part of the, um, where the levee ends, not realizing that it was completely. <laughs> saturated, you know, but Hannah and I, you know, Hannah and I were just going to walk down the levees with our, you know, our stupid little boots and our britches on. And, you know, everybody's sitting at the end of the entrance, you know, into the neighborhood, looking at these two broads, just walking like, where are they going? (laughs) Fortunately, (laughs) um, an airboat showed up that day, but um, yeah, so it's, it, it was, it was, it was pretty interesting. It was about five days. We were able to get in and out every day, which was good. Um, But we didn't, get any rain. Um, it did rain after it crested here. Um, it, it rained a little bit, but it didn't affect us. It wasn't what was happening right on top of us. It was what was happening up North. That was the big deal. So, um, but the, the waters are down and the cleanup is beginning, but there just, um, are a lot of people that, uh, just had some pretty heartbreaking stories. Um, you know, too many to tell, but, um, that, you know, just went, back to go get the, they would truck some animals out and then the sheriff's department could let them back in because a river had risen that much. And, you know, just a lot of, a lot of things people had to deal with, but, um, it looks like we're headed for drier weather and the cleanup starting and there's a lot of amazing people helping, um, a lot of people out there. So that, that's the good news in all this is that it brought the community very much together. I so. was amazed on the news when they showed the pictures of the horses that were on the owner's porch. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, I guess they, I heard that, and that was probably three miles from us. I don't think it's that far, um, three or four miles from here, maybe a little bit more, but I guess, um, as you can see, they were preparing and trying to get out. There was a horse trailer, right? Um, but I guess they helicoptered in grain and hay and they would drop it down to them, which is kind of amazing. And that, yeah, it was just, it was neat. It was neat to see how the community work together, how everybody really did try to, well, I mean, so keep in mind this, this property, this whole development is surrounded by a levee. I boated in one day and one of the guys that lives in the development was a sheriff. He goes, Oh, we've been waiting for you all day. Some guy was rescuing his horses, rode out on the levee and, um, dropped one horse off that couldn't go any further. And, um, so I'm walking down the levee to go see, it was, you know, a two or three year old, um, horse that was in, of course it was the stallion, um, and very sweet and very good shape as far as body condition, but exhausted, just simply exhausted. And, um, A&M has a, uh, trauma, um, emergency trauma unit and they got some vets out because we, we couldn't get the horse out of the development. They couldn't, it was not passable. You would have to put him on a boat. Plus he didn't want to walk. Um, but anyway, they, got the vets in, took care of the horse. Horse just spent the night um, under a tree with some girls that watched him all night and they picked him up in the next morning. So it was amazing to see how the community worked together and how many things are truly in place. And I will say, you know, social media was amazing because I ended up posting, you know, on a certain website saying, you know, I need some help with this horse. And I got private messaged by five or six 
private people that were like, listen, I know they're saying I can't get in there, but I'll get in there. I mean, it was just amazing to see wow. that. Yeah, it was, that part was pretty, pretty awesome. Um, but that horse got rescued and um, and I'm sure he's, he's doing much better now. And, you know, and that was just some guy that was dry, riding by to get his horses, saw him there and just said, okay, let's, you know, let's pull him along. And they couldn't get him to go any further. So they just tied him to the levee. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> okay, only in Texas. So, I, it's true. It's well, like a, I, I, I'm glad you and and your horses and your clients' horses and dogs and everybody is, is okay because it it sure was frightening to watch yeah. from a distance. I, I, yeah, I, I just can't imagine having to go through that. It was having surreal. to live through that. The only thing I can say is I think this is the one time that the news really didn't sensationalize. You know what was going on. Cause it was, it was that bad, you know? Um, cause everybody kept texting and calling and saying, Oh my gosh, is it really that bad? And I could just answer. Yes. Yes, it is. You know, <laughs> not for us. I mean, we were very extraordinarily fortunate, but, um, anyway, but it, the, the waters are going down, the sun is out and, uh, the healing begins. Yay. Yay. So, but we, I think we have a great show. That has nothing to do with water or flooding. No, no. Uh-uh. not one thing. It has thing. to do with greener pastures. That's a good thing. It does. Uh, uh-huh. See? Uh, I came up with something there, didn't I? You did. Well done. Well played. <laughs> I didn't even choose a, a chicken that floated, as far as I know. <laughs> Although with all that broodiness, maybe it does. <laughs> you never know. never know. Stay tuned to find out what broody means, hey, right? For, for the next time you do a chicken... I want yeah. to know: Can chickens swim? I'm going to find it out. I'll write know. that. I'll write that down. <laughs> I need to know. This episode's special guest segment is brought to you by Warhorse, naturally aggressive and fiercely kind. Available at BiostarUS.com. Today's interview segment: We're interviewing each other today. We thought we'd try something. Ta-da! Hey, you're the star. Yes. Um, there's actually. I think we should we should, we can we can interview you, Jennifer. That's what I think oh, we dear. should do. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a really short, twisty segment. turn. <laughs> turn around. Tense. Yeah, yeah. Payback is you know what, right? Uh, right. Oh, I was kidding. That was Tigger's idea. <laughs> Tigger. Well, what I what I wanted to chat about today is transitioning your horse, who has been your your competitive partner for many a year and it's time for that horse to retire and we're not talking about your husband not talking about my husband he's not my competitive partner he does not like going to horse shows um but a lot of us have that horse that they're competing and it's time to retire take a break go eat grass in the pasture for a living for the remaining years of your happy life and that transition especially for competition horses can be Mm. very difficult can Um, it doesn't always go smoothly either emotionally or physically for them and I thought you guys could help out with some pointers on getting that to happen so that the human and the horse continue to both thrive. That's, it's, it's actually, it's kind of an interesting thing, a question for you to ask, because it's something that Tigger and I did with a very good friend of ours. Um, I think that there, there's two parts to this, I think. Um, and it also depends on the type of horse, but the horse that Tigger and I had to do this was actually a very competitive, um, I guess he was, I guess he had, I don't know if he actually competed Grand Prix. Do you remember Tigger? If he actually, I don't remember. Um, it's actually a horse that Tigger now has, um, retired in her backyard, but he was, um, 
a fancy little uh, chestnut Dutch gelding um, that was imported and, um, like we said, bought for a, a very, very wonderful woman that we both knew and um, had had his whole life was in a show barn. Extraordinarily well taken care of, the best of everything. Um, and she had contacted me and said, I would like to retire this guy. And we had had her previous retired uh, Lipizzan or Stallion. Um, and we kept him till he died. And so she contacted me and said, you know, what, what do you suggest? Cause he had been ridden, like I said, six days a week, um, on the and those days off, he was hand walked. I mean, very, very regimented. And, um, I had done this on a few other horses, but with this particular horse, because it had been quite strict, I, my suggestion was, um, you can't just drop him out of work because emotionally and physically, with a horse like that, that's all he's ever known. And if you just take that, and he didn't like being turned out, and that was the biggest, biggest problem, is that, he, and he also didn't like other horses. So we uh, got the horse in Virginia and just sort of evaluated where he was, and he really was quite sound. It was kind of a nice. Um, she was such a good owner because she was trying to put him, um, get him to this place before he broke down. And basically, I started off with keeping him in sort of a um, almost a full training type program and then very slowly weaned him off. And it probably took me, I guess it was about four months, um, maybe even longer than that. Tigger, I don't know if you remember exactly how long it took, but just where we would get him out every day, do his little regimen, not work him hard, but kind of give him the same sort of life. And then, you know, gradually take more and more away and then try to increase other things where, whether it was hand grazing and then putting him in a smaller pasture. Cause like I said, he was not very good at being turned out and did not like other horses. And, um, and, you know, tr- very slowly th- trying to getting off, you know, the more high performance food to a less performance food, because that's also something that, and I know Tigger can talk about this, but you've got to be careful if you change nutrients like that um, and the workload, you know, because you've got to be careful about their overall health. And, um, it, you know, it really turned out to be, we just took our time and decreased the exercise, but still had him outside. And eventually I got him to the point where he could stay outside and tolerate it. And that's when we handed it over to Tigger. So he came to my farm. His name is Hero. And I, I play the, um, the adjustment sort of intuitively what the horse tells me. So he started in a stall and, you know, turned him out for, for like, you know, 12 hours. And, and I think I only did that for maybe three or four days. The, the retired horses basically live in a herd. And they would come over and meet him and he would pin his ears. <laughs> he would be very unfriendly. And then it was, it was less than a week. One day he just kept looking out into the big pasture. And I went, okay. There you so go. I let him out there and turned him loose. And that was it. I mean, he, he always pinned his ears and he still does at the other horses, but I have decided it's not that he doesn't like them. He just has an in, inferiority insecurity mm-hmm. complex. Yeah. Is, he, is he only 15 hands? He is tiny. He's yeah. not that small. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. Going on there. Yeah. Yeah. And what was really interesting is he had been in tur- you know full turnout 24/7 for maybe 2 months and his owner came to see him. Hmm. And she walked out into the pasture with all the other horses 
and, you know, she was feeding him carrots. And he just basically said, yeah, nice to see you. Hate to be you. And he just turned around and walked back to the herd. And she realized that he was, you know, home. Yeah. He was wild. (laughs) He was wild. you know, I think it was hard on her in a way, but then in a way she was so relieved yeah. that he actually could be a horse. I do. I know because I remember we 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 all went out to dinner after that. And I remember talking to her about that. And she said, you know, it was it truly was hard to see him do that. But she said, you know, over time, it was the best thing that could ever happen. She She never looked back. She never regretted how she did it. Right. So that and was he, he basically doesn't get you know, any feed except in the winter. Right. And they get feed and and hay in the winter, but, you know, spring, summer, and fall, they're living on a gigantic pasture that's hilly. Yeah. And they drink from a spring-fed pond. Yeah. And they live as a family. And ideally, I think that for to retire a horse, no matter if it's a high-performance horse or a beloved you know, trail horse, um, letting them be with a group of horses where they can scratch each other's backs, mm-hmm. where they can be in close contact with each other, where they can be a family, look out for each other, um, is the healthiest. I, I mean, I have some retired horses here that came, they've been here a decade. They came in with, you know, they were 17, 18 years old. The owners expected them to go in, you know, yeah. Two or three years, and they're still. Well, look at Lion. How old is Lion? Lion is 29. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example of. Yeah. I think that the ability for the horse to live a social life, a natural social life that is created by that herd atmosphere without the human beings fiddling around with it a whole lot, exactly. I think that goes a long way towards yeah. the horse's longevity. Big time. It, it does. And, you know, the other thing, because I've had similar questions of, okay, I have got a horse that I don't think will ever be turned out with other horses. And I think, um, you know, without getting into like real specific grave details, I mean, Hero was not easy. I, I mean, he was not easy um, to get to be turned out and to get to the point. The other thing that I, that I didn't mention that really is a big thing in this is that, you know, when he came to us, he was on, you know, high performance feed. And I, of course, switched him to Whole Foods and then put him on Biostar products, which kind of, it was just a nice, easy transition over that period of time. And, um, and his body was in a good place. You know, he, he physically felt good and, you know, he was balanced. And so when Tigger got him, um, I mean, it went far quicker because I really expected it to take a lot longer than it did for her to be able to just kick him out in the field because he didn't, I mean, you know, like you said, he's always pinning his ears and doing whatever. Um, but he had never had the opportunity because he was a show horse. He was a happy, you know, you know, he was a show horse, but he just never had the opportunity to, to really be around other horses or certainly not get turned out with any others. And so. now it is so interesting, you know, when they, when they live out and they have um, plenty of room to move, they stay amazingly, when I say fit, it's not, you know, show horse fit, but they maintain their muscles way better than if he was in a stall and yeah. a small turnout without any, without being Sure. sure. Yeah. Um, so 
Okay. My advice to people when, you, when you're going to retire your horse, particularly if you're going to go find a retirement farm, and there are, there are many good ones, you, you really want – the horses need the company of other horses, mm-hmm. and they don't need a lot of company of the humans. They've already sort of done that. <laughs> yeah. They've done that, done with yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> and they really just want to be with their own kind. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And they need to be able to move. Move yeah. all the time. Yeah, I think that's another key factor is because their turnout area is very large and has undulating terrain, mm-hmm. they're able to pick and choose the yummiest, most favorite bits of fresh green plants to eat. And they move about, again, the way Mother Nature intended them to, but still have the advantage of being a modern domesticated horse. That's, that's really the best of both worlds. Oh, it really is. Yeah. Now Absolutely. I have one more quick question for our little segment here. Whenever yeah. you were transitioning Hero from being a horse that lived in a stall and got hand grazed mm-hmm. towards being a horse that lived in a stall part time and was turned out part time, mm-hmm. how did you start the process of getting him to be turned out? What was what was the first step? Um, I turned him out in a smaller field. And didn't have a lot of other horses around because I didn't want to. I didn't want to agitate him in any way. So I had um, a, just a section of a field where um, I actually um, electric taped it off, mm-hmm. um, where he just kind of hung out. And then I could make that space a little bit bigger. And then in that space that was bigger, I then you know had horses on the other sides. And I just would increase it. And there there was many day, days that it was a fail. He he just would start running. He would hate the flies. Oh my gosh, the sun's so he was out. A runner, that's how he indicated he didn't he, like it there. He, yeah, yeah. He just he wouldn't stop moving. Um, and you know, Tigger, I can't remember. This may not be correct. Uh, did he did he have the best feet? I just no. always, yeah, I was always so worried about his feet. And, um, and that was another part to this is I didn't want him running around. Um, and that's kind of what he would do. And I just, you know, I didn't want him pulling his shoes and blah, 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 blah. And it just, it just, you know, I, I would get, I would get braver about leaving him out. And, um, I mean, I, and just the, the time period got longer and longer, but I will be honest when he went to Tigger, I did not expect him to go within a week. I thought it was going to take her three months and he just was ready to do it. Obviously. Whenever you started him on turnout, Mm -hmm. did you have a schedule that you were working towards in that, okay, for week one, we're going to try to have him out for an hour at a time. Or was it much more fluid in that you would put him out and wait for certain behaviors to happen before he came in? What, what made you increase or decrease the amount of time? I'm just curious because I, you know. If he wasn't fractious, then I was fine. Yeah. But I mean, it was, he was so schedule oriented and I mean, I made sure he went out kind of around the same time every day, you know what I mean? And then, and then that time would increase a little bit on one side or the other, you know, whether, Mm -hmm. you know, know, and I, I just didn't, as the riding was his mainstay of his life, I kept that very regimented. And then as I lessened that, I started to change the schedule a little bit there and therefore changed a little bit of the turnout part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, just because, you know, he was sort of a curmudgeon and he, he was, was not the easiest of horses to, you know, to just say, okay, we'll turn him out in that field. We'll do this and this and this. Um, and I mean, I, for me, I had, I had to feel, um, he was not one if, if I didn't have any of my, um, employees around being able to watch him, I certainly wasn't going to go get on a horse. 
because when he was done, he was done. You know what I mean? Um, and I just think it just, it just over time, it just got a little bit better and better and better. But like I said, it took some time because I was changing other things too. Mm -hmm. I was lessening how much he was being ridden. I was changing his diet. It was changing all these little things and also trying to get him to the point where he just would go outside because what, what, what the owner did not want is she didn't want him to be in the stall for the rest of his life. Well, no, that's, that's, that's how to, to guarantee your horse has a short retirement life, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I don't know how, honestly, um, successful she really thought we were going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, she brought him to the right folks because you, you had a plan and you listened to what the horse had to say. Yep. And you allowed him the opportunity to say, and you ask him, do you want to be a horse? And you mm-hmm. set him up for success. And he said, sure, I want to go be a horse. Well, and honestly, that was all on Tigger because, I mean, I just did what I could do and then it got to the point where I was just like, okay, they're really, I can't, there's no reason for me to ride them anymore. You know, and I think the last month I wasn't even doing any riding. I was just kind of trying to do the turnout part of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the hard part really was on Tigger. Because then Ta-da. she, yeah, yeah, there you go. And he's barefoot. Yeah. And that's the best news. Yeah. He, so he, this is a fascinating conversation and because there are constantly folks around who have horses that are transitioning into that retirement phase of their life. Or even if they're not fully retired, they're going from being full-time show horses to being beloved pasture pets. Mm-hmm. Or they're transitioning to becoming a weekend warrior kind of a horse where they're only ridden occasionally or lightly. So these are all things that we can take home with us. And perhaps we will put into our back pocket for a future conversation um, some tips on trying to find an appropriate retirement home for your horse. Oh, that's, yeah, that's good. If you can't keep them at your home place mm-hmm. and take care of them yourself, maybe some things that we should look for, some questions we should ask. Because the retirement farm is not necessarily going to have the same requirements as a boarding stable for a competition horse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll put that in our pocket for some future show. We know that cleaners and products we use have a great impact on the well-being of our families, our animals, our farms, and the earth. Warhorse works to offer our customers naturally aggressive and fiercely kind cleaners that provide effectiveness, versatility, and value. And we do this with special combinations of simple, humble, but extraordinary plant oils that have no pesticides, no metals, no glyphosate, no petroleum, no sulfate ingredients, and no genetically modified organisms. Warhorse's equine pet and people soaps use an exclusive raw sunflower oil that retains its waxes, lecithin, and vitamin E. Add some skin-loving avocado, coconut, almond, and dead sea minerals, and you've got a buffet of healthy benefits for your farm family. All Warhorse cleaners are naturally aggressive on dirt and grime and fiercely kind to the most sensitive skin, even our pure gold and multi-purpose cleaners. So go ahead, get in the mud and get dirty. Warhorse has got your clean, a Warhorse kind of clean. Jennifer's here too. Jennifer, who is Jennifer? She's your producer. Oh, hello, Jennifer. Hello, Hedwig. I'm one of your people. She, your people. I love to have staff. 
I'm one of your <laughs> staff, and I'm I'm a new hireling, so thank you very much for bringing me on. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, of course, I am so pleased to offer you the opportunity for employment. <laughs> I'm honored. You're such a Who giver, Hedwig. You? You're such a giver. Thank you, Patty. You are so clever to recognize it. And may I extend my condolences that you are living in a tidal flood zone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, done a, a, I've learned a lot about modes of transport- transportation this past week. Do you have a, perhaps a boat or a yacht? Well, that's the only thing I didn't travel on. I did dune buggy. I did airboat. I did uh, motorboat. And, um, and I walked a lot. <laughs> How we're can you good walk now. in a river? Well, you walk through. Uh, you walk through a lot of water. Oh, that sounds yeah. awful. It was awful, and but it's all receding, and it's all good now. It's all good. Oh, but oh, it, it, but it was t- it, very tiring. Which actually, Hetty, leads me to a question about being tired. You ready for your question? Oh, I know all about being tired. <laughs> So, Hetty, what is your favorite type of dog bed? My favorite type of dog, well, I mean, of course, I have two favorites. Okay. One is uh, a sort of round bed with a sort of couch back. <laughs> and I, I like that one very much. I curl up in it. Right. Um, that's especially nice for a night that's chilly. Okay. Um, and then more... Toward the summertime, I have a large pillow that is technically not a dog bed. It is my servant's bed, and I sleep on that. <laughs> you know, Tigger, when I said I was going to ask her this question, I knew that it was going to have something to do with her servant's bed. Did that, I did... want to know about that, that cooling pad you have. Ooh. Oh, well, I reject that now. It is boring. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have one, but why would I ever want to go on that when I can lie with my belly on the concrete floor? Oh, well, there's that. Very cooling yes. with the belly. So d- d- does does your sister like the the cooling bed, the cool bed no. that you have? No. <laughs> no, no. She doesn't like it because it moves when you step on it. Oh, okay. It's like a water bed. Oh, why? Well, my some- giant sister, the giant mutt dog that doesn't live with us all the time, she likes it a lot. But she's mental, so you can't really <laughs> count on her judgment at all. Okay. She okay. weighs over seventy pounds. Can you imagine? No, I cannot. That's a big dog. That's a big dog. She- and she's all legs and no brain. <laughs> All legs and no brain. I've been, hey, I've and been, tail. I know some people like that. And I was like, wait a second, I've had that reference before. Wait a minute. <laughs> well, Hetty, thank you for that. I wanted to, I was just, you know, I had been so tired this past week and I thought that's a good question to ask. What, what, what would Head would like to sleep on? And I, and I did know that one of that was probably going to be your servant's pillow. So I get yes. a checkbook on that. Well, I, I have to tell you, Patty, that Hedwig, uh, did tell me that she got into something in her servant's car the other day. <laughs> wait, wait, didn't that happen last week and the week before that? <laughs> wait, yeah. the week before that? Okay. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. And what was that? Oh, Patty, you are so witty. <laughs> oh, shoot. I forgot you were still there. <laughs> Tigger, you set me up. I did. <laughs> what did you get into, Hedwig? Well, let us preface the situation so that we can all understand exactly what occurred. Okay. First of all, it was quite late in the evening. And for reasons known only to herself, the servant decided we needed to take quite a long trip in the car. And so I had had my dinner quite some time before, and it had been a long day. And so we were driving, and then we pulled over to a gas station so as to fill up the car. And the servant got out of the car and I was confronted the way you sometimes are with a tremendous peckishness. I was overwhelmed, Patty. You cannot imagine how hungry I was right oh. then because oh. I had been abandoned in the car, possibly right. forever. Right. And so I started investigating my surroundings so as to take stock of what I might have as right. provisions. To guard me against starvation. Right, right. Because who knew when she might come back? And my <laughs> sister was very helpful in this, as she always is. And so we ferreted around, and then we happened upon a bag of Tate's chocolate chip cookies. But you are not from this area, but the Tate chocolate chip walnut cookie is a delicacy. And so we set upon those just to tide us over, you know, because things were not looking good and we thought we right. might die. So when the servant came back, we were surprised. Yes. So we had opened and demolished a pack each at that time. When the servant came back from, quote, paying for the gas, Right. Like, that's real. Yeah. And then, so she was a little annoyed because apparently, I mean, who wants to know whether this is the case or even true, but those were a gift for someone <laughs> who likes them. Good to know that you're still alive and you weren't abandoned. And, um, and, that, and we could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Hetty. Uh, <laughs> Stay away from the cookies, please. And now it's time for the breed of the show. So for this breed of the show or part of our segment, we're going to start with chickens. And um, this has been kind of an exciting, fun thing for me to learn more and more about chickens. We've had chickens on and off throughout um uh, different farms that I've worked at, but I've never had the opportunity to read up on chickens. So I thought I would give a little bit of a background. Tigger, you may already know this, Jen. I don't know if you knew, but I didn't realize that there were different types of chickens that were raised for different reasons. I mean, I know there's like meat chickens and whatever, but I didn't know that they're egg layers, meat birds, and show poultry. Did you guys know that? Yes. I did. Yeah. One of my okay. favorite parts about going to the farm show growing up as a kid was the chicken section. I love chickens. Well, Okay, well, so this 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 was just it was just so exciting to learn all this stuff. So obviously, you know, egg layers. Not all chickens can lay eggs, or enough leg eggs to produce. No, wait, let's stop right there. All female chickens can lay eggs. Let's make yeah. that clear. Okay, yeah. yes. But not all chickens lay eggs on a daily basis, so that you can keep your refrigerator full. 
Continue. I want to hear about silkies. Okay. Okay. So anyway, so there's meat birds and there's show poultry. So that's kind of like classifies, I guess, you know, chickens and birds. So anyway, so my, I'm, I was telling Tigger that I'm on this quest and I will figure out this, this one particular bird, but it was called a crinkly chicken in that I kept finding out about the silky chicken, which, um, by the way, is quite a beautiful bird or quite a, a pretty chicken is, I guess you would say they they come in many, many different colors. Um, but it's mainly known for their fluffy plumage, but also that it, it, it has black skin and grayish black bones. Didn't know that. Didn't know that. Yeah. Um, blue earlobes and five toes on each foot. I didn't know chickens had earlobes at all. I didn't either. But if you look up, if you look it up, you can, well, I guess there, aren't they behind the eyes? Somewhat like be yes. in that area. Yes. Um, but anyway, but this is the things that, that make these chickens a little bit more uh, distinct. But most chickens have four, not five toes. Didn't know. Yeah. So they are a relatively small chicken. Um, they are, their characteristics are basically a very friendly, calm in temperament. Um, it's a great kind of first chicken to have. They're uh, very, very docile. Um, okay. I'm going to use some of my chicken slang. Okay. I'm ready. Ready. Okay. They're exceptionally broody. Yes. Now, do you understand what that means? Well, yeah, because <laughs> I read it on the internet. <laughs> well, well, maybe there's some folks who aren't familiar with chicken. Oh, I had no idea what it what meant. Broody means. I did. I had no idea. And so this is consider this is the action or the behavioral tendency to sit on a clutch of eggs and incubate them. Now, what's interesting about the silky chicken is that they are often used. Um, I guess on chicken farms. Exactly. Yeah. To- they. They to will, sit on other chickens, like yes. other like ducks, even ducks. Did you know that? I didn't um, know that. They yep, waterfowl and geese are just other chickens. So kind of interesting. So that makes them broody. And as I, just note, when I say broody, I'm doing my fingers in quotations, broody, because I learned that. Um, <laughs> broody. Okay. Um, the female chicken gets up to about three pounds. The male chicken, four pounds. Like I said, they're not very large. Yeah, they're small. Yeah, they're small. They're not what we would put in the meat bird category. <laughs> um, one of the most popular breeds. They're often kept as a backyard um, pet. Uh, they're considered or- ornament- ornamental. Did I say that right? Ornamental. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are often mistaken for the bantam breed, um, uh, which is just a whole, I guess, is a very similar looking type of, I guess, I guess they, they, they can be very similar looking. I don't know that much about the bantam, but I will. Um, <clears throat> there's two varieties. There's um, the bearded and the non-bearded. Did you know that, Tigger? I did not. Yeah. Explain to You're me. You're learning. What, what's bearded versus not bearded? Well, I'd love to tell you, Jennifer. Thank you for asking. <laughs> the, beard, the bearded silky <laughs> has extra, extra muff. Oh, muff? Yeah. Is that yep. where they put their little hands when it's cold outside? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yes. Extra muff, which is more feathers, under the beak and the cover of the earlobes. Where are those earlobes again? I know. Apparently, it's a very big thing in these birds. Um, Several different colors. Uh, They come in black, blue, buff, gray, uh, partridge, don't know what that is, and white. Um, But they, again, I was... I was getting into this particular bird because I was just looking for this other type, but it truly, and obviously Tigger, you know a lot about this, but they're just supposed to be a really kind of cool chicken, a great chicken. And I think they can be quite affectionate as a pet. I never would have thought that. Yeah. They're very easy to handle. Do you have, I don't have any silkies. 
Right. Um, cause I like layers. Mm-hmm. So, um, the chicken breeds that we have are, you know, real egg producers. Right. But I have a friend in North Carolina and she has, um, egg producers and silkies and the silkies literally hatch the egg producers. Eggs. Yeah. Isn't that funny? It's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, and they're uh, really good mothers. Well, they're, they're broody Tigger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is something I know now because I know about chickens. Um, but you know, I didn't expect to get into this and, um, and, and think that chickens would be good pets. You know what I mean? And they, I, I mean, I just never thought of it that way. All any of the chickens that I've ever been around have just been really, truly egg layers or they had them around for bugs or, you know, to cut down on the population of bugs or whatever. But, um, so the, like, I'm totally interested. I, I would love, I, I want chickens. Okay. I said it. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> if the chickens can you swim. You can use them as flotation devices. I know. There you go. <laughs> In Texas, it's so, true. So, silky are silkies the one that have the the, the feathers on their on their head kind of uh, stick straight up so that make them yep, look like they, they look have, like they have Phyllis Diller hair? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, so I was Phyllis Diller chickens. Yeah, they're yeah. Phyllis Diller chickens. Okay. Oh, that's a really good name. For that them, was Jennifer. awesome. In fact, when I get my first sil- silky, I'm gonna call it Phyllis. No, I'm gonna name it Jennifer. <laughs> Well, you know, on a good humid day here in Florida, I look a lot like Phyllis Dillon. Like that's appropriate. Oh, that is just too funny. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. And they do come in they do come in kind of a blonde color. That's a good idea. I like it. Right. <laughs> would it would that be the partridge, I guess? Uh, buff. buff. That's probably I'm buff. Yeah, buff. 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 Yeah. And yeah. they're broody, so they like to And they're broody. They Did like you do the quotation pass. marks when yeah, you uh, Yeah, got to do the broody okay. quotation I, yeah. marks, yeah. Air, air, yeah. Air I didn't I did not know silkies were broody. Did not know that. Well, it's one of their it's one of their best characteristics. Good to know. <laughs> they're not big, but they're broody. <laughs> and I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> We're gonna stop right there. And... Welcome to Critter Nutrition. Uh, today we're going to talk about distillers dried grains and the antibiotic connection. Distillers grains are also known as distiller dried grains or distillers dried grains with solubles. It's a common feed ingredient in processed feeds and some supplements. As the name implies, is it, a, it is a byproduct of the distillation process, which until now I had safely assumed was nothing more than the leftovers of beer and spirit distilleries. But a story on April 10th, 2012 in Wired Science, followed two days later by an article in the Washington Post, brought the reality of distillers' dried grains to my full attention. Distillers' dried grains are a byproduct of ethanol manufacturing. The massive amounts of GMO corn in the U.S. are grown in part to support ethanol production. Making ethanol is a lot like brewing beer. You take a starchy carbohydrate, the corn, wet it down to make a mash, warm it up, and add yeast. Unfortunately, it is common for the mash to become contaminated with bacteria, such as the lactobacillus strain, which compete with the yeast for the sugars in the mash. But instead of producing alcohol, these bacteria leave behind lactic acid. This lowers the ethanol yield. So ethanol producers solve this problem by inoculating the mash with antibiotics. 
The most common antibiotics used in the mash are penicillin, virginomycin, erythromycin, tylosin, and tetracycline. The leftover mash is conveniently sold for animal feed after the ethanol is extracted. The animals include equine, swine, cattle, and chickens. In fact, distillers' grains have proved to be an economic boom to the ethanol producers. In 2008, the FDA tested 60 dried distiller grain samples. Of the 45 tested, 24 came back positive for residues of antibiotics. According to the FDA, some were detected at levels considered significant, including residue levels exceeding 0.5 parts per million. Another study in 2011 was conducted by the University of Minnesota. In that study, samples of dried distiller's grains were collected from various ethanol plant manufacturers. The samples collected quarterly for a year were analyzed for antibiotic residue. All 117 samples contained antibiotic residue. Most of the news in uproar lately has been about antibiotic overuse as it relates to humans. The FDA released a statement and a request calling on drug companies to help limit the use of antibiotics in farm animals that scientists say has contributed to a surge in drug-resistant bacteria. Under the new FDA guidelines, antibiotics for animals are to be used judiciously or only when necessary. An estimated 80% of all antibiotics sold in the U.S. end up on animal farms. The World Health Organization and the Institute of Medicine, among others, have called the waning effectiveness of antibiotics to be a global health concern. To date, there have been no studies on levels of antibiotic antibiotic residue in horses from dried distiller grains or solubles. At this point, we don't even know how active or passive these residues are. In fact, we know very little about how antibiotic residue over time can affect our horses. The FDA has stated that it is concerned that antibiotic residues in distillers' grains could be transferred to animal tissue upon ingestion. Now, some ethanol manufacturers have begun to use extracts from hops. Yes, the same herb used to make beer. Well, other ethanol producers have started to use stabilized chlorine dioxide in order to combat the bacteria, thus eliminating the use of antibiotics altogether. By reading an equine feed label or supplement label, there is no way to know if the distiller's dried grains are antibiotic-free or not, and no company at present has come forward to announce that they are antibiotic-free. Maybe they are all antibiotic-free. Maybe some of them are. Maybe none of them are. In September 2011, one ethanol producer who markets distillers' grains under the label Dakota Gold announced all its distillers' grains were now antibiotic-free. This particular company's announcement was published in a cattle feed industry publication. From a consumer's point of view, we are not powerless against these suspect ingredients in feed and supplements. We can vote with our pocketbooks. We can demand from the feed companies we buy from that they provide documentation of antibiotic-free distillers' grains. We can demand the same from the supplement companies that use distillers' grains. Or we can just stop buying any feed or supplement that contains distiller grains that are not labeled antibiotic-free. 
Keep in mind that these distillers dried grains and solubles are fed to chicken, swine, and cattle too. Which means if you are a meat eater, buying conventional meat at the grocery store that is not organic or not labeled antibiotic-free, the residue antibiotics are most likely going to be in the meat you and your family eat, increasing the possibility and likelihood of antibiotic resistance. Antibiotics are important in the ongoing fight against harmful and deadly bacteria. To my mind, they need not be in food. So we're going to talk about our favorite and least favorite dog treats. <laughs> Why am I thinking that the, the, the latter is going to be well represented? <laughs> well, I, I, I will not have any scathing remarks if one of these things that I named that is my least favorite group you guys use. <laughs> oh, Tigger, we've thought this through. You're going first. <laughs> <laughs> this was one of those things where I was like, ah, oh, I'm not doing that. Ah, I'm not going to mention that either. You know what? I'm not participating. <laughs> Are you pleading the fifth? Is that what you're I'm, doing, Patty? You know what? I'm just going to sit back and like, no, I'm kidding. But it was so funny. I'm like, oh, I can't tell her that. <laughs> certainly can't tell her that. <laughs> and I'm certainly not mentioning that. So some of this I'm going to make up and some stuff I'm going to say I use and I never do. So, Tigger, please take the stage. Okay. So um, I will start out with uh, Biostar liver treats. Now, I know that um, I'm biased, but I created these treats so that I could have a really, really healthy, nutritious treat training treat for the dogs. And it's very simple. It's Argentinian desiccated beef liver, some coconut meal, and flax. It's mm. not complicated, and they're about the size of sugar cubes. They fit well in your pocket. Uh, the dogs love them. And so they, they are um, number one on my list. But to give the dogs some um, variety, because that's important, I really love Great Dog Bison Achilles Tendon Chews. Now, I don't eat them, but um, these, I, I actually can get them off of Amazon, which is very convenient. Oh, that is cool. And this may not be a great choice for a small dog like a Frenchie, mm. but for a medium-sized or large-sized dog that, you know, really likes to chew um, and they won't go through it in one nanosecond. It may only mm. take them five minutes. Um, but bison is a really good source of both fat and protein. Mm. Um, when I'm, I'm actually want to be seriously working the dogs, I, I'm training them to come to a dog whistle these days. Mm. Um, I use Stewart's freeze-dried liver treats. And this is 100% liver, just freeze-dried in little tiny cubes. Mm. It's a little pricey. Uh, it's great for small dogs. Even the little terrier can eat them. Um, but what I like is that it's just 100% liver. There's nothing else. So it's a real food. And my last choice when I want to sort of, I will say, spoil them and give them something more fun, um, I use Sammy Snacks Cheddar. <laughs> and <laughs> this... <laughs> Sammy snacks. That just doesn't sound like your your uh, kind of product. There, I'm surprised. I, I just I just want to buy that because of how you just said that. Say say it again for me, please. 
Sammy, Sammy snacks. snacks, cheddar <laughs> snackers. I'm so buying those. <laughs> okay. But listen, they have three ingredients. What? Rice, cheddar, and garlic. There you go. Oh, wow. What's now that's something the Frenchies could eat. And it, again, very small, you know, little bite size uh, pieces. And they're very orange from the cheddar. Mm-hmm. And the dogs love them. And, of course, getting a little garlic, you know, is sort of good for the flea yeah. um, issue. So those are my my favorite treats. Are you going to mention your least favorite treats, Tigger? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> let's just let's just grease that engine, shall we? <laughs> are you, are you, gonna, you, you guys are going to check your list? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, I am. This is a setup, Tigger. <laughs> So the number one, but these are not in any uh, particular order, um, milk bones. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> they contain BHA, which is a cancer causing agent, and it's being banned in the state of California. Mm. Here's another one I'm sure you feed the Frenchies. What? Snossages. Oh, snossages, but the commercial's so cute. I actually don't feed them that, believe it or not. Oh, good. Because they contain propylene glycol. Okay. That's been banned in cat treats by the FDA. Oh, my gosh. But you can give it to your dog. Yeah, but you can give it to your dog. (laughs) Um, Here's one that you may or may not feed. Pepperoni. Yep, don't feed those either. Contains BHA and propylene glycol. Oh, my gosh. Temptations. Those are those little tiny treats. Oh, yeah. Their description of their ingredient is meat meal. Uh-oh. Oh. Which, come to find out, can include dead dogs and cats. Oh, my gosh. Beggin strips. See, beggin strips are just wrong. Strips. They're yeah. just well, wrong. they they don't even look like. I mean, I can't even remember it's, the last time I laid eyes on those. But yeah, they're just it's just wrong. It's smushed stuff that's in a form like in a wavy piece of yeah it's plastic. Just wrong. It should not be made. It's an abomination. It yeah, is. Moving on. It <laughs> contains <laughs> two carcinogenic food dyes. Oh my gosh! One yellow one, number five one. is linked to hyperactivity, anxiety, and cancer. Wow. Red dye number 40 is linked to hyperactivity, allergies, and immune system stresses. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Jennifer, I think you should go next. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite dog treats. So um, the short list for training treats for Glory, because she is very food motivated, we keep it simple. We either chop up itty-bitty little chunks of cheese. Mm-hmm. Or itty bitty little chunks of chicken, done. Mm-hmm. Perfect, easy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she is a very aggressive chewer. So real dog bones didn't work for her because she would uh, she would split them, mm. and we can't wow. use we can't use raw ones because they're in the house. Don't want to go there, right? Um, and the cooked ones split. Couldn't use yeah. those. So she has antlers. Mm-hmm. And my she, dogs don't like antlers. She she loves her antler. Oh, that's great. She loves her antler. And she's got the marrow kind of cleaned out a little bit on the ends now. So uh, 
whenever there's a thunderstorm because she's thunderstorm phobic or loud noises mm-hmm. of any sort, we will we will stuff peanut butter down in there for her. Because she ah. loves peanut yeah. And yeah. she also loves hooves. So yeah. whenever I trim the horse's feet, I will save bits of that for her. And she loves it. Um, she gnaws those. And I do get her the, the, the hollowed out kind from the feed store, which I'm sure have bad stuff in them. But they're very useful for stuffing. Yes. So yes. we'll put so better I'll even, than a Kong. Yeah. Sometimes I'll yeah. even use uh, overcooked sticky rice. Yes. Oh yeah. oh yeah. I can stuff that in there, and if I stuff it in there and let it dry a little bit, it takes her a long time to chew it, so it will entertain her for hours and hours. Oh, that's good. And uh, I love to use carrots as treats, but Glory won't eat them. Uh, other dogs that I've had loved carrots. As a matter of fact, one of the dogs I had, if you left your bag of carrots in the barn. She would take the whole bag. She'd just grab the whole daggone thing and take off like a bat out of you know where. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Eat the whole bag of carrots. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> so those are my top five. Well, I have um, <laughs> got to go. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Is, is, is Tigger going to slap your proverbial fingers no, with the No, I actually, I actually don't feed an enormous amount of treats. Um, the only bad thing that I, um, I have done, um, honestly, was the milk bones have a tiny mini one um, that I have fed um, just out of just – I like to give them something when I put them in the crate. Um, I can't feed the Frenchies a lot of – different type of stuff that's too rich because they get more, more gas, which is kind of, you would think would be impossible if you hang out with them at all. Um, because they are, they just, I mean, they just sit next to you and they just, they just toot away. (laughs) Um, so I have to be very careful, but one of the, I love the sterilized, um, bones, um, and I can put peanut butter in those, um, that they, they love those absolutely love those and it's funny because they're not real engaged with a lot of toys i mean they like to choose some like some of the you know fluffy toys we have or whatever but they're not real into chewing bone bones um i used to years ago i love the press rawhide but you know that you find out all the crap about yeah, them so i have not, not used those in years um so i really like the sterilized um you know natural sterilized bones then I put peanut butter in those. But the other thing that I always do is I also use cheese. Um, I used to use all beef hot dogs. Again, I can't do that with them because it makes them way too gassy. Um, but I love cheese. The biggest thing with them is cheese. And they're so, mo- they're so motivated. Any type of cheese. They love, they love American. They love provolone. They love whatever. They are so motivated that way. Um, so, but the other, the other thing that I do too is I always get chicken breasts that I make um, – um, for like, you know, just for salads for the week and I'll chop them up really small and then I'll make little, uh, treats that way. And I can also put them in the sterilized bone, which gets them going for a while. So those are mine. Those so my are only good. Well, yeah, but except, except for the, the milk bone. Yeah. Well, I'm not doing that anymore, <laughs> but they're just the mini ones. I would, you know, I, it, it's just, it's so funny. Cause I'm so with Jennifer, it's so hard. I mean, when you, when we do this, this show and you, you're doing it to inform people. And of course we're learning stuff all the time, but it just, you get to the point, you're just like, it is, it's, it's so hard to do the right thing for ourselves, for our animals. You know, it, uh, it, you just, you go to grab something out of convenience. And if you just take two seconds to, I mean, just how many did you just mention Tigger with different carcinogenics and the crap that, you know, can, 
cause a Frenchie to have worse skin or, you know, whatever. It's just, it's overwhelming, you know, and it's just, if you can just go to natural things, it's, I guess it's the best thing to do. You know, it's the easiest and the best thing to do. Just grab some cheese. Don't go for the milk bone. I'm writing that down. <laughs> don't, go, don't go for the milk bone. Go for cheese. <laughs> you know, when, you know, I, I walk, we, we take the dogs, you know, cause five Australian shepherds and a terrier. Yes. They, they need a lot of exercise. And, you know, when you're walking out into the woods and stuff and you want to call the dogs back, um, you know, I carry a, I wear a pouch, you know, a treat pouch. Sure. And so some of the treats that I mentioned are, per- I mean, I wouldn't put cheese in there. No. I mean, I, I've always loved no, liver. No, because you have to have dry treats. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I love I years ago when I was doing um, obedience and shuts on I always used liver, and they loved it. Oh, they love it. Yeah. Well, I think it's time to wrap things up, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Thanks to our interview segment sponsor, Warhorse Solutions. Check out all their great non-toxic shampoos, leather care, and multi-purpose cleaners at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. And rap with your raptor. (laughs) 